This is FaithCast, weekly messages from Victory Faith in Spokane, Washington. To stay connected with Victory Faith, visit victoryfaith.org where you can submit prayer requests and praise reports, sign up to receive weekly email updates, give online, and much, much more. Consider joining us for our live stream online Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at victoryfaith.org live. Now, on to the message. Amen. Thank you so much. It is so good to be with you here, our Valley Campus family. Uh, My wife, Christina, is up north. Pastor Joe Cox is up there sharing the word this morning, and they're having a great time. And uh, we, we love being a part of the Victory Faith family. It is our privilege and it is our joy to just be an extension of this house on the north side. If you don't know it, you have a hundred or so uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of this house on the north side. And you're always welcome to come check us out sometime. We don't want to steal you away from the Valley campus at all, but we we love rubbing shoulders with those from this campus. So pastors Craig and Moni are up at uh, Colville this morning ministering at Hope Vineyard Church, uh, some other part of our extended family and friends in ministry. So you can be praying for them, believing that God will do mighty things through their ministry. Uh, But man, it is good to see you all. So many faces I don't get to see as often uh, over the last few years, but we love you. Love you so much. I especially love this guy in the front row, your campus pastor, Trevor Seaman. I don't know if you're aware of what an amazing leader you have in Pastor Trevor and Heidi and the whole Seaman family. Love them to pieces, some of our very dearest friends, some of the best leaders I have ever had the privilege of knowing. I have followed him into storms, I have followed him into battles, and I would do it again in a heartbeat because he is a man of God. So, love you guys. Hey, how about we pray and then we dive into the word this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you here to come and just get into it with us. Open up a conversation in our hearts that maybe we've been avoiding having, Lord God. Would you illuminate your word in such a way that it illuminates our hearts, it illuminates who you are, and it illuminates who you're calling us to be. And in that light, Father, I'm believing that you're setting people free this morning, that you're, you're casting off shame, and, and you're giving us courage to really take the steps we need to take to move forward in life. So Holy Spirit, Come and speak to us. Open your word to us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to talk today about finding lost things. How many of you have ever had the glorious experience of losing your car key? I mean, look at this thing. It's so tiny. How can it hold so much power over my life? Because when you lose your car key, you're not going anywhere, especially if you don't have a backup set sitting around somewhere. You have to call in help sometimes. People have to come bring you the spare set. Uh, I had a friend recently had to go rescue a family member because their car key had fallen down a storm drain. Oh, no. You're not going anywhere until you find that car key. And maybe it's just me. Maybe there are people out there who only lose their car key when they have an extra 30 minutes to spare. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I have plenty of time to search through every coat that I wore, every pair of pants, the laundry bin, the junk drawer, searching the couch cushions, the refrigerator. Who knows where those keys might be? 
But you do know you're not going anywhere without those keys. There was one time I was traveling uh, with a group and we were staying at a hotel and I lost my hotel key. And it was kind of later at night and so I had to go to the front desk and that's when I realized, oh, my wallet with my ID is in my hotel room. What do I do? I'm stuck. They're not going to let a stranger into a room without ID, but I can't get my ID without that key. And that's what it's like when something's missing. We're stuck. Such a small piece that's missing can keep us held back from where we need to go. Now, let's talk about in the spirit. What do we do when we realize that something is missing inside us? When, like Pastor Trevor shared about last week, when faith is growing dull, when my feelings are just off, when, when, when you're missing your edge, your spark, your mojo, we have all these funny words for it because it's this intangible thing inside of us that is really hard to pin down to begin with. And then when that thing is suddenly not there, when you pull that lever and it doesn't do what it used to do, it's even harder to, to even find the language to describe what is missing and how do I begin to find it. But finding it is extremely important because there's a danger that we could ignore it when something inside of us goes missing and just chalk it up to, ah, just not my day. Or, I've just been in a funk. It'll pass. But what's the problem with that kind of reasoning is that could lead us down a path of eventually just getting familiar with missing that piece. And we just say, oh, it's just part of maturing. Part of getting older, you, you, you just come to accept that your fire has grown cold. But the last time I checked, Jesus came that we might have life. Not just any life, eternal, abundant life. Life overflowing, not a timid, grave-tending life. So what do we do when there's a piece missing? Like in this parable of the lost coin in Luke chapter 15 where it says this. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This story is part two in a trilogy of stories that Jesus is telling. And like so many other trilogies, it's often overlooked and kind of ignored because it's just the second installment. It wasn't the dramatic beginning and it wasn't the, the big finish. It was just somewhere in the middle. And it's a smaller story than the other two. But I'm kind of weird. I like a lot of part twos in different trilogies. You know my favorite Lord of the Rings movie? Two Towers. Two Towers. Come on. <laughs> Nick knows. And then I'm also kind of weird because, you know, the Star Wars has three trilogies. In the latest trilogy, the, the sequel trilogy, I love Episode Eight, the last, the, 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 the last Jedi. And a lot of people disagree with me, but I will fight you. It is so good. It, it is complex. It gets messy. And they're not afraid to go places that the, the franchise hasn't gone before. The best uh, uh, Back to the Future, part two. Man, when I saw that picture of the future, 2015 was so cool. Those Nikes and the self-drying coat and the hoverboards. Man, you remember when all those were released in 2015? 
That was awesome. But this is a trilogy that Jesus tells of three stories that are all illustrating, illustrating nuances of the same point. Because in each story, something valuable is lost and then is recovered and then there's rejoicing. In the first one, it's a sheep. One out of a hundred sheep goes wandering away and the shepherd goes to rescue it. And then this parable of the lost coin, but then it's followed also by the parable of the prodigal son. Now the lost sheep and the prodigal son, very famous stories that a lot of people remember. Lost coin, eh, you might remember it, you might not. But there's a valuable piece that is unique about this story that will help us examine this idea of what happens when something's missing on the inside. Because there's subtle differences in these stories. In the first one, the sheep is in danger. And so the shepherd needs to leave the 99 to rescue it from that danger. In this story, the coin is in no danger. It's fine, but it's valuable to the woman and she will desperately seek until she finds it. And then in the third story, the father is waiting because his son has willfully run away from home. The father doesn't go out after him, but he eagerly awaits for the son to have a change of heart and find the will to come back home. And so there's differences in these stories. And then on top of that, Jesus uses numbers to show rising stakes in each of these stories. In the first story, it's one out of a hundred sheep are missing. In the second story, it's one out of 10 coins. And then in the third story, it's one out of two precious sons. So the thing lost seems more and more valuable. But in each of them, Jesus is showing it's worth chasing it down no matter what and bringing it home again. What's unique about this story is the coin, how did it get lost? It didn't wander off aimlessly like the sheep. It didn't run away willfully like the prodigal son. No, it just slipped between the cracks like the remote in my couch. And it's just gone. It was here and now it's gone. What's also unique is the coin doesn't leave the house. And so there's something about this parable in particular that invites us to look on the inside, to examine what do we do when something in our house, in our heart, in our soul feels like it's missing? What do we do? What, what does the woman do? The first thing she does, and I'm going to share three things she does that we can learn from. Number one, she lights a lamp. So her house has been dark, and that might be part of why the coin went missing. She wasn't keeping track of it, and so she lights a lamp. When something's missing inside of us, we need to light the lamp. We need illumination. We need enlightenment. We need to be able to take a good look at what's inside of us. And in case you think I'm just talking about some new agey inner light stuff, Jesus also talks about this light back in chapter 11, verse 34. He says this, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. It's important that we have a good eye to see that is lit up to see what's inside of us. 
Is it light or is it dark? How aware are you of what's inside you? What is your self-awareness meter at? Husbands, you're getting nudged by your wives right now, probably, because men in particular, we struggle with pausing to self-examine, self-inventory, what is really inside of me? Because we have this temptation, and this is a universal temptation of all humans, that we get really good at seeing clearly out there. We have lots of discernment and insight when it comes to the news, politics, sports, celebrity culture, whatever's happening out there, we are looking carefully and discerning what's really going on. And we have a hot take on just about everything. We can see so clearly, but at the same time, when it comes to having insight into what's inside of me, I don't know, I'm clueless. It's dark. I'm stumbling around through the dark and I need help. I need illumination. Otherwise, I become that person constantly picking specks out of everybody else's eye, walking around with two big logs in my own. And I need help. I need illumination. I need to light the lamp. We all need to engage in a certain level of philosophizing about our lives. And by that, I mean we need to ask the tough questions the difficult questions of who am I? Where is my life headed? How am I feeling? What's going on with my emotions? What's inside of me truly? Can I take a good look at the good, the bad, and the ugly and evaluate self-inventory? And we have to beware lest the light in us be darkness, like Jesus said, because we can start on a path this way, but, but you know, the world has a lot of philosophies that are going to tell you what they think is good and bad and ugly about you, and they're going to give you lots of suggestions on how to fix those things. Now, I'm not here to slam those things. I think there's lots of smart people who come up with great tools that help us take steps towards emotional health and psychological health, and, and those are good. But those can only carry us part way down the road because at the end of the day, those philosophies are just other humans who are just as lost as we are, and they're making the roadmaps for other lost people. What we really need is a divine light. We need something bigger and outside of our broken human nature to illuminate what's really going inside of us. And so... What we really need, back to our, our illustration, she lights the lamp. This lamp would have been an oil lamp. And so to light the lamp and have it burn and illuminate what's inside of us, we need oil. We need a fuel for the flame. And, and, and Jesus talks about the need for oil in another parable in Matthew. Uh, I'll take you there right now. Matthew 25, the parable of the virgins. It says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamp and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, 
Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those that were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. There is a danger that we don't have oil in our lamps to keep the flame burning inside of us. And when that happens, when we go to illuminate what's happening in our hearts, we can keep lighting the match, but the flame just goes out over and over and over again. So we need oil. What is this oil that I'm talking about? Let's break it down, back away from the metaphor. Let's get concrete. What are we talking about? Well, the oil throughout the Bible is an anointing agent. It's something placed on, uh, on humans to indicate the divine, godly influence of heaven upon humanity, upon human flesh. And in uh, the prophet Zechariah, there's a story about he sees this picture of lampstands with a bowl of oil and two olive trees. And it's this complicated picture of, uh, that, that represents, we think, maybe the church in Israel. But that's like a whole 10-part seminar. We're not going to get into that. It's so confusing that I can imagine Zechariah looking at this saying, like, what the heck is this? But then angel asks him, do you know what this is? And it says in Zechariah 4... Uh, I said, no, my Lord, I have no idea what this is. I wouldn't either. So, so what is this oil? He's about to answer the question. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The oil is the spirit. We need the spirit of God in our lives as the fuel for the flame that helps us see what's really going on inside of us. The Bible tells us that the Spirit shows us what we are. And, and we need that. We need the flame of the Spirit. And this lines up, this adds up, because what does the Holy Spirit do in Acts chapter 2 when he first falls on the early believers who were fervently seeking him in prayer in an upper room? He turns them into human candles. Each one of them has a flame that alights on them and burns and flickers. And that's a picture of us the oil of the Holy Spirit inside of us, the flame of God illuminating us, guiding us on this journey to find the missing pieces. We need to light the lamp. And once we light the lamp, like the woman, we will see the house is dirty. And the second thing she does is to sweep the house clean. We're going to see the true state of our hearts, the true condition of our souls, just like this woman. How did she lose this coin? Neglect, busyness, hurry. Did she stop valuing the coin? Oh, no, no, no. The coin is very important to her. The coin is what's called a Roman drachma. It represents one day's wage. And for a woman who probably doesn't get a day's wage every day, having 10 coins and having one go missing, that's a lot of money. It's very valuable to her. But you ever notice that sometimes in the busyness of life, the important things get buried underneath far less important things. It's, it's like... You get an important piece of mail and you put it in a special spot so you won't forget it. But somehow things get busy, you, you don't find a better spot for it, and then all the junk mail gets piled on top of it and you can't find the important thing anymore. There's clutter that we need to move aside as we sweep the house clean. We do this not just with our mail, we do this with our relationships. 
I love my wife more than any other human being on the planet. I love my kids right there alongside her. They're the most valuable thing in the world to me, but if I'm not careful in my love for them, in my desire to provide for them, I will work hard, I will burn the candle at both ends, I will hustle, and in the meantime, forget to actually spend time with the, the, the people that I love most on the planet. It's all for them, and yet I'm losing them at the very same time. We get our priorities flipped upside down and backwards, and that is the irony and the tragedy of a busy life. When we give in to hurry, all the important, valuable things get buried under things far less valuable. We do this with God. Don't get quiet on me now. If I asked any one of us in the room, we would say, oh yeah, God is the number one priority in my life. You know, he's there somewhere. It's like I have a passport somewhere. I, I couldn't tell you where right now. It's a really important document. I shouldn't lose that, but, but I don't know where it is. I'd find it eventually. You know, God's, God's there, but, you know, there's life. And, and, and yes, yes, I, I know he's speaking to me, but it's like this faint echo coming just through the shouts of, uh, and demands of our responsibilities. And he's folded somewhere between the soccer games of Saturday and the conference calls of Monday. And if I, I really nail it down, I realize the top priority in my life doesn't even have a place of priority in my life at all. He's not on my calendar. He, he, he's not in my schedule. He, he, wh where is God? Have I prioritized him? Maybe the valuable thing that's missing is missing because I didn't give him a place. And so as I sweep the house clean, I need to do some, I've, I did this with my kids this week. They, we all had a week off and we're like, we're going through 14 years worth of toys and we're going to realize you've outgrown a lot of these and we're going to sweep the house clean. We're going to look around and realize what's been given a prominent place in our house. Why is it there? We don't even like that thing. Let's get rid of it. Let's move it aside and put something more important, more valuable in its place. So practically speaking, how do we do this in our lives? How do we do this in our relationship with God? Start with your calendar. Where is God in your schedule? Have you given him a place of prominence or is he getting buried underneath all the less important appointments? What about in your physical house? Do you have a space that is your space that you meet with God, a bed, a chair, a corner, whatever it is? Maybe you need to get radical and rearrange some furniture and say, God, I'm giving you an altar in my heart and I'm giving you an altar in my home. I'm gonna meet with you. I'm gonna get filled with that oil and you're gonna spark something inside me. I'm gonna see what's really inside of me. As we do that, we start to realize the layer of dust that has settled over everything. Dust, that ominous picture of our mortality from dust you came to dust you shall return. It's this gravity in our life that tends back towards a state of disorder and chaos. It's the entropy of just being human, of our physical existence. But as we sweep the house clean, we push back against the dust. We push back against the familiarity and we're not gonna settle for letting that, that put a patina that, that turns everything gray in our hearts. We're gonna revive and reflect fresh and polish and remember who we are. And as we sweep our house clean, we'll do the third thing, which it says, she seeks 
diligently until, until she finds what she's looking for. This is where this gets a little hard because this isn't, even though I gave you three easy steps, these aren't three easy steps. It's not as simple as A, B, C. Seeking diligently until means doing some hard work. It's like when you lose your keys, what do you have to do? You gotta go back. You gotta think. What, not, now, where was I before this? What room was I in? What jacket was I wearing? Uh, and wh- where was I before that? What was I doing? And it's not easy. And, and other people wanna make it easy for you. And, and, and in an attempt to be helpful, your, 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 your lovely wife will come and say, well, where did you lose them? <laughs> if I knew where I lost them, they wouldn't be lost. It's a frustrating experience looking for the missing piece. Maybe you're at home and you literally lost your car keys and that's why you're watching online today. (laughs) Have you checked the couch cushions yet? Another unusual spot, the fridge, just try. You've got to retrace your steps. And and this doesn't come quickly, it doesn't come easily. This reminds me of a story of a rich young man who came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, teacher, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus said to him, well, keep the commandments. And and the young man said, that's great news because I've kept the commandments since I was a young man. And I love this. It says, Jesus looked at the young man and he loved him. And he said, oh, you're so close. You're just missing one thing. One thing. Like this woman, just one coin out of 10. Is it really that big of a deal? She's got 90%. That's an A, A minus, right? Doing pretty good. I'm okay. I can can limp along on 90. But Jesus shows us that we need to get radical because he looks at the young man and he loves him and he says, one thing is missing. So here's what I want you to do. To find that one thing, sell everything. Give it all the Give it to the poor. Start at ground zero. Strip your existence back to its bare bones and then do this. Come and follow me. Let's go on a journey together and we'll find that thing together. Come and be my disciple and you'll find the one thing. The rich young man was very sad because he was very rich. We're in danger of being too rich for our own good, having too much stuff in our lives that we're not willing to strip it back to find the most valuable thing. We gotta get radical. We have to be those who will persist, who will seek diligently until, who will ask, 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 ask until we receive, who will seek, 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 seek until we find, who will knock, 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 knock until the door is open to us because this thing that we are missing inside of us, it's not something we should limp along without. It is worth setting our hearts on pilgrimage to go and find it, to realize that inner wholeness is a worthy goal to do, to, to do anything we need to do to find it, even with the understanding that we will never fully experience that wholeness, this side of glory. But we can be those who go on a journey. We can be cracked vessels who allow that whole, the Holy Spirit to illuminate what's inside of us, to start to bring some healing and wholeness as we give grace to other cracked vessels who are on the journey with us. How do we find it? 
How do we find the missing piece? As we seek diligently, what do we do? Well, there's this story of Elisha the prophet who has a company of young men who are traveling with him and supporting him and they need to build shelters and so they're chopping down trees. And one young man comes distraught to the prophet and he says, I've lost my ax head as I was felling the tree. The ax head flew off and it landed in the river. And it was a borrowed ax. This young man has lost something valuable. He can't do what he's supposed to do without it. He has lost his edge. He has lost his sharpness. And what is he going to do to get it back? Elisha the prophet asks him a very wise question that we need to ask ourselves today. He looks at the young man and he says, where did it fall? Where did you lose it? Take me back there. Let's go back. This is the hard work of seeking diligently, especially as we think over this past year, this is an ugly, horrible exercise that we gotta do. If you lost something in these last couple years, let's go back. Was it at that difficult conversation that was hurtful to you and you walked away from it and that hurt blossomed into an offense and that offense uh, festered into bitterness in your heart and that caused you to lose your edge? your spark, go back. Do the hard work of sorting through that relational conflict, of sorting through that hurt. Do the hard work of finding grace and the extremely hard work of forgiving and you'll find your edge again. Or maybe you've picked up a habit recently. There was a temptation that, that, that translated into sin and the sin has translated into something that's controlling a piece of your mind, a piece of your heart, and it's holding you back and you've lost your edge. Go back because it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If we confess our sins one to another, we will be healed. Find grace, find forgiveness. Or maybe you lost a habit. Maybe you skipped a day of prayer. You skipped a few days of Bible reading and now it's been a month, two months, three months and you're ashamed and you think you can't go back but go back and realize the Holy Spirit is waiting right there for you in that same secret place ready to love you and fill you with life abundant. Maybe you've tripped up on a mistake recently and, and you're, you're laying down in your shame and your insecurity wondering if you can ever get back up. Go back, find grace. Because here's something you need to know about this trilogy of parables. Jesus told these parables to illustrate one important point. He's doing it in response to these Pharisees, these religious elites who are upset with Jesus because he tends to attract sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes who like to hang out with him and have meals with him. And, and for them, this is really offensive because all of those kinds of people are lost causes in their estimation. But Jesus tells these stories about lost things being found over and over again because Jesus is all about the lost causes. There is no lost cause to him. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
That was his mission. And so every one of these stories isn't just illustrating that we need to go find what's lost. Yes, we should go seek the one sheep. We should, we should pray for the prodigals. We should seek for the thing lost in our own house. But as we're seeking, as we're lighting the lamp, as we're getting filled with oil, as we're sweeping the house clean, as we are seeking diligently so much more, God is after your heart. God is running after you and he will hunt you down and carry you home again because he loves you. Will you bow your heads with me? Because maybe you came here today feeling lost. Far away from God. Like you could never be someone who speaks to God. You could never be someone who hears the voice of God. Maybe you've made too many mistakes. You've run too far for too long. But I want you to know your whole life, God has been seeking after you. And today can be a day where you discover that you are his daughter. You are his son. He loves you so much. And you may feel like there's no way you could ever do enough to deserve that love. You could never do enough to deserve that salvation. And that's true. We can't. But the good news is we don't have to. God did all the work for us. He doesn't save us by us cleaning up our act and getting back to him. No, he came to us. He put on humanity. He died on a cross for our sins to take the penalty of them, to remove the barrier between us and God. He did all the work. And so in order to know that love, in order to know that salvation, all it takes is a simple act of faith to say, I believe that love is for me. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to take that step of faith, would you lift up your hand so I can pray with you? Come Holy Spirit. I see those hands. Just leave them up for a moment. I want to know who I'm praying with. I'm not going to call you out or call you up. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hands all over the room. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what we're going to do right now is make a confession of faith. I'm going to invite everyone in the room to stand up with me uh, so that we're going to pray a prayer together with those who raise their hands. I'm going to invite the whole room to just repeat this after me. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for coming to rescue me. Jesus, I believe that you died for me to forgive me of my sins. So I repent today. I turn away from my past and I'm turning towards you. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead to give me new life, to make me a new creation. So Jesus, be my Lord. I'm following you from now on. God, be my Father. I want to know you more. Holy Spirit, be my guide. Come and fill me now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Come on. If you prayed that prayer with us, you just opened a door and took a step of faith that's going to lead to a lifelong journey where you get closer and closer to God. And it gets better and better, but it does not get easier and easier. Fact, it gets hard. So don't walk this journey alone. We want to walk with you as a church family. 
or if you're not, if you're looking for, uh, you just get into a church family, whether that's here or somewhere else. And we want to start walking with you today by, we have a gift at our connections table. It's a book and a Bible to help you get started on this journey strong. So don't leave without doing that if you prayed that prayer for the first time today. Church, let's take this holy moment to light a lamp inside of us as we sing this song. Come invite the Holy Spirit to come and look inside with you to begin this journey to discover if something's been lost on the inside. Amen? Amen. Let's sing.